Guys, I'm Richard Fitzgerald. This is Dubai Works, where we interview the business leaders making a difference in this great city. That business with scalability was very interesting to me. I like building something that has legacy. The sponsor of today's show is Evest, a digital brokerage firm founded with the vision of bringing trust and credibility to the world of online trading. Evest provides investors with better opportunities in the online trading industry, offering self-trade service with high level of security and secured global licenses. Evest offers 100% reliable stocks with zero commission. So Dubai is buzzing, I say it every week this time of the year. We've got big golf tournament on this weekend, there's F1, there's loads of celebs in town. Loads of conferences this week, I can't name them all. I was at a couple of uh, industry events with Google and TikTok. Uh, the business world is also buzzing. The World Cup is starting on Sunday uh, and there's loads of activity in the markets. There's lots of IPOs as usual. Uh, one of the big companies that's going public at the moment is Talim uh, in the education industry and that's the theme of today's uh, interview. We have someone who's set up his own school in Dubai and he's involved in many different uh, investments and businesses so it's a fascinating uh, discussion. Please do enjoy the conversation. Welcome back to another episode of Dubai Works Business Podcast. This week, we have a very special guest, Dr. Adil Alzaruni. He's the founder of Citizen School Dubai, which focuses on child's unique requirements, empowering them with choices to explore themes, expand interests, and determine the routes that they want to go to reach their full potential without compromise. So here, we're going to first hear about how uh, the Citizen School Dubai came about. We're going to talk in depth about the education sector and the current uh, challenges and opportunities that uh, are faced, and then looking ahead with plans for the future. Good morning, Dr. Adil. Good morning. Thanks for joining the show. Thanks very much for inviting me, man. So tell us a little bit more about you and the Citizen School. So it's uh, it, uh, 10 years in works. Okay. And it's like 10 years, why 10 years? <laughs> so I, I um, I currently operate uh, around three groups. Uh, one is uh, my my family office, which uh, which has citizen schools in it. Uh, as a family office, I established around 13 years ago. Uh, got into education, healthcare, financial services, and consumerism technologies. And and before getting into education, I was I was actually predominantly in the healthcare industry. I'll come back to this. So mm. the second group is mainly focused on FMB, FMCG. And the third group is my own uh, that focuses on venture studios. Mm. Now, the idea on getting into the school or in the education sector uh, came when I have spent a few years in the healthcare industry. And I thought we were relatively creative. We brought in a lot of new concepts. We, I, we identified problems or issues in the healthcare industry and we thought let's try and resolve them and we were predominantly successful in doing so and we had really interesting uh, exits there 
I thought, is there a gap in the education sector? Can I penetrate that industry? And it took me a while to figure out what's missing. And it and, and took me almost two years just to get into what is it that we could help with in the education sector. What we've realized after thorough research, and I can really boil it down to one statistic, is that nursery age students today, by the time they graduate, 40% of them will have to be self-employed. So entrepreneurship is not a privilege anymore. It's survival. Mm. And then the question became, is the education sector, is the education system today, or the education experience today, ready for that statistic? Digging deeper in that, uh, I think we've realized that there is a substantial gap. And and most of the gap is in the concept of entrepreneurship and how education is not yet totally aligned. Mm. And I'll explain why is that. Can you just go back, just to clarify the 40%, is that, why is that? And is that uh, a change statistic than now? Yeah, I'll explain why is that. You need to realize two two other statistics. A, yes, you have uh, artificial intelligence automation, all of that contributing into uh, less human involvement needed moving forward. But also that as a species, we are going to stagnate in growth. You are living the year where people aged more than 65 is now more than people aged less than five. You are actually, it is this year. Mm. In our history of humans as a human species, 300,000 years plus minus, Mm. this is the first year whereby people above 65 years old are more than people that are less than five years old. Mm. And you you are also living the day almost, or it was like yesterday, where us as a species have hit 8 billion people. Mm. Now, you need to realize also statistically, it's quite shocking, Mm -hmm. that as a species, it took us 300,000 years to arrive to 1 billion. And it took us only 200 years to go from 1 billion to 8 billion. Mm we will stagnate at around 10.3, 10.4 billion. And that is in around 2080. It's not far away from now. Mm. By 2080, 25% or so of the population will be above 65 years old. So our growth from now till 2080 will be predominantly because we live longer, not because we have newborns. That's not the main drive of our growth from now moving forward. Mm, interesting. Now, now, what does that mean economically and socially? I don't think anybody, of, any, anybody fully comprehends that. But a lot of that would be a lot of more retirees than there is newcomers into the job market. Automation, less jobs, smaller growing economies, 
all of that is going to impact the job market. I didn't speak about the other 60%, by the way. So I said to you, you know, 40% will have to be self-employed. I'll explain what does that mean to the education system. But the other 60% that is hopefully getting jobs, 60% of them will fall into jobs that haven't yet been imagined. Mm. What does that mean also to the education sector? How would we be ready for that? Mm. That's another key question that we have focused on. So we have two key potential issues, 40% self-employed, 60% of the 60% or so, another 40% that will fall in jobs that we, are, we don't know of. How will then take that problem and provide an education experience that can help in being ready for that almost reality. So you basically started from scratch. You've created yes. a, a new, is it a new curriculum? Is it a new type of a school? Can you describe a little bit about it? So we understand that the education system uh, works in a specific way, or at least started working in a specific way in the last 200 years. So it's like a huge engine that's been running certifications, bodies, government agencies, all of that. We understand that. And that there are curriculums and you need a certificate for you to get into, get a job. And there are certain standard ways for you to be gauged. So we understand that and we will have to provide it. So we do provide it. Mm. But what is it that I want to generate at the end of the experience? And when I'm asked as Adil, what is it that you hope to produce at the end of the day? And to be very frank, I have really two main focuses. I want to be able to generate or help create a generation that's able to do two very specific things. One is it's a generation that is able to identify problems or opportunities in the market, be able to communicate these issues, study them, research them, team up, to produce a solution mm. and solutions are usually either in products or services and that they are able to sell, you know, monetize these and make an income for themselves and their family and society. So that is one that I hope to generate or help create as a generation capable of doing the skills. The second thing that I'm hoping to achieve is that it's also a generation that is able to gauge their quality of life, which is something that has never been taught, neither in the education system, nor in society, by the way. If I tell you today, if I ask you a question, can you gauge your quality of life? Can you know whether on average you have a nice life? What's the definition of that? Mm. Okay. Because us as humans, we live in societies that have created since the moment we were born have infused certain concepts about what success is, what happiness is, what, you know, love is, what a lot of concepts that are really theories. They are not facts. These things are uh, infused by society. But how, how can you gauge yourself against any of these concepts? So I hope that we are able to produce and help 
a generation be able to actually gauge it and and enhance it for themselves and for others. Mm. So with that, we have a more a generation that knows how to gauge their well-being and enhance it for themselves and and the mass. And with that, probably we could contribute in enhancing a society well-being. Yeah. So both aspects are key to me. And 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 this is the the core of what I want to be able to achieve with the education experience that I'm trying to deliver through citizens. So citizens to me is not only a school, it's an experience. It's an education experience targeted to a very specific couple of concepts. Yeah. And how did you go about it? Did you, you know, how does one enter from a different background to education? industry did you find a property did you find teachers did you find a curriculum did you is it up and running what level what ages of people are there people attending school now uh so yeah can you explain a bit so we started with the objective yeah okay and we reverse engineered it so i'm originally an engineer a telecom engineer yes so and i and i have masters in business and phd in sustaining family businesses and economy so it's a, um, so we bas- basically, first of all, we spend years actually figuring out is what are we going to face as a, as a, as a species, as humanity, as people here in the Middle East, as people here in the UAE and Dubai more specifically as a multicultural city. Once we did that, we, uh, evolved an education experience a curriculum actually, mm. uh, because that's the process. We submitted that to the authorities. They really encouraged us. They loved it. They wanted it to be here. And they worked with us for years to, to like, they gave us all kind of support here. And I have to you know, send my thanks to KHDA here for actually giving me all the room mm. necessary to evolve this concept. I see. And they wanted it to be in a special place and like, like in a predominant place. And it took me also years to get the land, the location that is perfect for this concept to become. And this is where I'll also send my salutes and thanks to Knowledge Fund to have given me a a very interesting location, which is just opposite to City Walk. Mm. It's like an impossible location. It's like at the heart of the heart of Dubai. Mm. In order to portray what we all hope to be a beacon of, of, of education, a concept, a, a community center, I would call, that revolves around producing an education experience that is relevant to the future. Mm. And, and that's what we hope to deliver on. Mm. So it's a beautiful site. It's almost for 456,000 square foot of a land, uh, amazing facilities. Uh, and we've designed the facilities with all of this in mind down to the furniture. So the furniture is even customized to trying and delivering an experience. The facilities and the furniture actually are designed to drive, to try and drive an experience that is relevant to our ultimate objectives. And I can go in a bit of details on that mm. down, down the line. So, yeah, I mean, it took, it took all a, a long journey to, yeah. to, to just deliver what we hope today. Uh, is the seed of how would we be able to deliver the experience ultimately. Of course, it's a new concept and we are at our infancy 
in delivering the experience. I hope that, and I believe that we have done a decent job, but it's it's the tip of the iceberg, in my opinion. Yeah, and so it's great that you know you found the partners with the KHDA, and even though it's a new view on education, it's still part of the wider ecosystem here. Um, you know the type of teachers and the professionals that that work at, at citizens. Uh, what sort of background do they have? Do they have uh, what sort of subject knowledge do they have, and how do they? How do you look to sort of recruit those people? Um, an excellent question, and the, unfortunately, the answer is wrong. Uh, is, is long, so <laughs> we, we because, have time. We, because we have. I have to explain a, a, a bigger problem, and then how that. How is it that we are able to try and resolve that problem through human resources? If I want to generate or create or help create a generation that knows how to solve problems and are basically entrepreneurial teams, you need to realize or understand a substantial differentiator between entrepreneurial teams and what is produced today in the education system. And the key difference between the mindsets is failure. Mm. What does that mean? Statistically, or at least in the last 150 years, 90% of startups fail within the first three years. 90%. So failure is the norm. Success is the exception. That is not what the education system is built to produce. Mm. The education system today does not handle failure or does not produce an experience whereby failure is handled in a, in a positive fashion. If you fail in an exam, you are a failed person. Mm. If if you don't do a, a good job in a project, you are a failed person. Yeah, but failure is the norm in entrepreneurship. Mm. So being able to handle failure in mass and use it towards success, whereby <laughs> you need to handle a heavy statistic here, Nine out of 10 companies fail within the first three years. Mm. So how would you use your failure efficiently towards helping you reach your success is a major difference in how would we need to evolve our education experience. Mm. I need to produce entrepreneurial teams in mass Unlike what the schools needed to produce in the last 200 years, which are employees in mass. Mm. You know, I mean, the last 200 years in education was geared towards producing employees in mass because that is what was needed. Mm. We have moved from a billion to 8 billion in 200 years. We needed a lot of the same. We are almost at the end of that growth pattern. Growth is slowing down now and it will plateau within most probably six years or less. 
Mm. And it start dropping actually, and it will drop severely and, and in a very different mix of society structure. Yeah? Mm. So the education system has now, needs now to be ready for that change in demography and change in global economic growth. Mm. So the education system has to evolve in producing entrepreneurial teams in mass, not mm. employees in mass. So, so this is this. All of this drives to what kind of teachers do I need today? Mm-hmm. Do I need teachers, or do I need mentors? Are those individuals meant to deliver knowledge, or are they meant to help students know how to use knowledge, rather than giving them knowledge? So, I believe our, uh, our teachers have to evolve from being the vessel of knowledge, the source of knowledge, to the the individuals that will help students know how to use knowledge Mm. for the benefit of themselves and society. So then what we need is more mentors. And and we don't call them teachers. We call them mentors. And they are they are going through extensive programs. Mm. I mean, programs that go, takes almost a year and a half to two years of morphing them from being teachers to being mentors. And how would, how are we doing that? Through venture studios that we have at the school. The teachers are actually building businesses. Mm. Interesting. That aligns a lot with, you know, this uh, realization, obviously, that, you know, the world's information is accessible now through technology. So how does technology enter the classroom? And it aligns with, with your thesis around, uh, you know, that vessel of knowledge has, has, is shifting from an individual at the top of the classroom to the internet and other devices and other resources, like maybe a library would have in the past. Uh, and we spoke before the show a little bit about the venture studios. Uh, can you, can you just explain a little bit more about that sort of approach within, uh, the group or within citizens. So why is venture studios interesting? Because it's an efficient way to fail. What does a studio mean for those people? Yes. Yes. So venture studios as a concept has evolved in the mid nineties. So it's relatively recent, uh, but statistically it's showing promise. Uh, as you recalled, I said 90% of businesses fail within the first three years. Mm. And this is a, uh, around a statistic of around 150 years. The statistic on venture studios, which is around 25 years of statistics, indicate that failure is, uh, in the first three years, is around 70%. So you have 200 so so success is more like 30% vis-a-vis the 10% there, meaning it promises almost 200% better end result of success. So it's an efficient engine to succeed or an efficient engine to fail. Mm. And how is it done? It's usually done through uh, core teams that are capable, that are competent, that work on multiple companies at the same time. So they are spreading their risk across three or four companies every 18 or 24 months. So they work on three to four companies for around two years. Knowing that, Almost three of, you know, one of them would work, would succeed. 
the rest will most probably statistically fail. But then they take that failure because it's the same team and they learn from these failures. And many at times their future ideas are the result of their failures. Like, okay, we failed in this company, but there is this one idea that showed promise while we were like building this company. Yeah. So we take that idea, we take all of that lessons learned and we will create a new idea and, and we will work for a couple of years on it to see if it would actually work. So it's just an efficient process of creating ventures. So this is when I'm asked, you know, are entrepreneurs born or are they made? Mm -hmm. Do I believe that they are born or they are made? I would say we can actually make them. Mm -hmm. And how would we make them? Through a process whereby we are handling statistics properly. How can we handle those heavy statistics, create a process around them so that we diversify our risks properly and accumulate knowledge and, and learn from mistakes? Take that, create entrepreneurial teams. You've noticed I haven't seen, said I, I want to create entrepreneurs. I am not pro the the super entrepreneur. I am pro entrepreneurial teams mm. because this whole concept of being the next Elon Musk or is in my opinion, a destructive concept. Mm. Why is that? It's because of the statistics behind that. Mm. There's only one Elon Musk out of 8 billion people. Mm. And what are the chances you become another Elon Musk? Is that a realistic objective? Okay. But then how many, Entrepreneurial teams have made it. That's a much better mm. statistical objective. It's a cult hero of the entrepreneur, isn't it? And the sort of media yes. industry plays up to it a bit. So yes. it might be misleading for younger people. Yeah. And this is all driven by the concept of the Superman or the Superwoman. I, mm. I'm not pro that. It has never been an individual either way. It's always been teams that mm. have achieved things. Mm. Like, you know, is did he build Tesla on his own? No, he oh, didn't yeah, even okay. start the company. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so, so I would like to, if the media can help with glorifying entrepreneurial teams, highlighting every member, every member's contribution to to us to the success of these ventures, then I think that would help, uh, you know, fix the perception about entrepreneurship. Yeah. So, so I want to help the mass be able to produce and be entrepreneurial in nature. And that is through emphasizing entrepreneurial teams. Let's talk a little bit, Dr. Adel, about the education, the business of education. You know, it's known as a lucrative business. It's known as a lucrative business globally, especially in this region. There's a lot of private schools. There's a company listing on the stock market today that's in the education system in the UAE. And uh, what's your view on that? Do you, you know, do you see citizens as being a commercial enterprise or is it a non-for-profit? Um, do you think that, uh, you know, the private versus public uh, view of education is the right one currently? Yes, I am, I'm, I am not a big fan of uh, non-for-profits because the moment you say non-for-profit, non then many at times you just compromise on quality hmm. because you just can't get the best people there is and you can't provide the best service there is that parents want for their kids. Hmm. So Citizens is a, a for-profit institution and 
And it is for in, for profit because we want to always be able to get the best and be able to provide services that are of high quality. Uh, but what about state-run public schools? Is it, would you consider them non-for-profit as well? So, you know, yeah, so, so, there, so there are public schools and non-for-profit and they serve a purpose. Yeah. Okay. And they satisfy the needs for a good chunk of society's needs, especially, you know, if they are limited in their resources. But there is always a need for services that are beyond that. But could the government provide it? Like, for example, uh, do you believe that university education could be free? Yes, it could be. So the concept of non-for-profit is occasionally deceiving. Mm. So, for example, the government has already embarked on entrusting private sector operators that are for-profit operating government schools. Mm. Yeah? Yeah. And the government is actually paying the operator, which is for-profit, mm. yeah, to operate the, those facilities because they want a structure that enables the operator to bring in the best of the best so that the quality of service that is provided is of the highest standard. There is no compromise. And what's really the difference between for-profit and non-for-profit? When you are non-for-profit, you are not really highly focused on working efficiently. There's no real drive for you to look at your bottom line, if you know what I Once you start looking at the profits and bottom lines, you, you become very efficient. You like, you know, you want to use the, the, your capabilities to the highest possible way. Mm. You want to bring in the best of the best because you're, you want your customers to like what you produce at the end of the day. This pressure is by nature is less when it comes to non-for-profit. Yeah. So, so the whole concept is a bit deceiving. Uh, when you look at profit, non-profit, the details of how does that, what that means is, is so the devil is in the details, really. Yeah. Ultimately, what is it that everybody wishes to uh, achieve? They want to see value for their money. And that there's the services that are provided to them uh, in the eyes of the consumer is higher than what they have spent on. Yeah, but you could have uh, so non-for-profit. I, I take your point, and it's very valid that profits is a driver of efficiency. Yes. But without the right direction, without the right mission, um, it can be just about profits without about a, a higher purpose. Uh, okay. So you kind of need both, and it seems that Citizen has that. Yes. So, look, I, I do think that uh, when I'm asked, and many at times. The, people push me towards like criticizing the education system or criticizing other schools. I, I, I don't think that is a, a, a good approach in that they all come from good intentions. Yeah. Okay. The only thing that I'm trying to do with citizens is that I have identified a problem and I'm trying to help resolve it. And that problem is not an education system problem. It's a, Society. A species problem. Yeah. It's a society problem that we are going to face. And I'm trying to help in my own way contribute in resolving it as, as a school. So yes, I am on a mission to help a good chunk of society arrive to 
resolving a problem that we, they will face indefinitely. But so let's take a step back. So you mentioned before that you were somehow in the health industry as well. Um, you know, applying an engineer approach to things can solve many problems. Uh, you know, by identifying this bigger problem, a species problem, why, why I, obviously I understand how education can help, but so could media, so could uh, governance, so could many different things can play into if if global if your vision for global citizens work uh there's other parts of society that uh, there's other things and industries that can also help the problems that our species is going to have so why the focus on education i am trying to uh, i thank you for the question sir it's a great question my uh, my wider vision will touch humans lives in multiple aspects. I have attempted to do a good chunk of that in healthcare. I am now attempting to do a good chunk of that using education, mm. but I, my ambitions are, are way beyond that. So I want to get into overall well-being. Let me give you, and I'm, and I'm using many of these fields uh, collaboratively to try and ultimately be able to in, contribute into humans' well-being. Let me give you an example. So the school, for example, has a well-being center. It's an excellent center that is meant to do to help do two things. One is do diagnostics, early intervention, teachers' training, parents' training, and research and development onto enhancing our students' ability to absorb knowledge and live a, a better, have a, have a happier life, whatever happiness means. Mm. More fulfilled. Yeah. Okay. And this excellence center or well-being excellence center will be offered to the mass, not only for my students and my parents. So this will be offered to, to the, to all, to all schools and society in mass. I am, and this should be launched hopefully within less than a year. We are, we are already building it. So, so that is one aspect. The other aspect, I have a KPI on students, on teachers, on admin, and producing knowledge using social media. So what I hope to be able to achieve is that we are talking to the region and regional languages, spreading knowledge that is research-based. And with that, we contribute into a very substantial gap there is in the region. I don't know if you are aware, but the region <clears throat> has around 120% penetration in mobile. Mm. So we are quite penetrated in mobile. And so, Dr. Adel, you're talking beyond the Arab speaking, you're talking other languages as yes, well. Yes, regional as... languages, inclusive of Turkish, Farsi, Urdu. Mm. My, my, my initial, of course, I'm, I'm piloting now with Arabic, but basically what I want to be able to do, there's a gap. The region is 40% less in content production per capita mm. than the global average. Mm. So there is the global average and we are 40% less than that. That's a huge gap. And you're saying about the mobile devices? So no, I'm talking about yeah. production yeah. of content. So Sorry. we consume a lot of content, but we don't produce as we are way short 
of producing content vis-a-vis the rest, the, the global average. So there's a substantial gap that I believe your agency is helping minimize. And I hope that each and every one of us will help minimize. Why do you think that is? Do you think it's to do with internet penetration or do you think it's to do with historically there wasn't as much uh, production uh, uh, and content out of this region? <clears throat> the, this region has at a point in time produced a lot of con- mm. a lot of knowledge mm. uh, that humanity has leveraged off. Fantastic. The, the region has unfortunately, especially in the last hundred years, <clears throat> lagged a lot in producing knowledge and help spread knowledge. I think we can jump back to being a region that help again Hmm. uh, progressing humanity and 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 the tools are now readily available to enable each and every one of us to do so which is social media predominantly anybody now can create knowledge using their mobile hands and upload it through multiple platforms helping people consume that knowledge the question is how can we make sure that as much as possible of that content is actually research-based and is scientific in nature and does actually help people evolve their quality of life. So that is the probably the challenges that me and you are trying to help resolve. Mm. And, and one way of me trying to do that is using healthcare platforms that I have been involved with, education platforms that I'm involved with to try and produce knowledge that people would like to consume and it adds value to their quality of life. And Citizens has a KPI on every teacher and student to produce content that is research-based, that is relevant to education, that helps the mass produce. Now, it it, it will take time, a lot of effort, and schools are not designed to do this. Us as society are not designed to do this. We'll have to start from what research means, Mm. what is a research-based content means, Mm. and then how would you take that content or that research or information, script it, you know, produce a video or an audio on it, you know, gamify it, make it look nice, and send it out onto so many platforms for people to have access to that content and be able to leverage off it. And then how do you make that sustainable so that people are interested in continuing to create that knowledge it takes effort and time so how can they make money out of it or how they can help themselves and their society make more money out of it so the loop has to be sustainable and sustainability is huge in in the way i think about how to produce uh, services and products so so yeah i'm it's a long answer i'm sorry no no it makes sense it sounds like an additional to having the wellness uh, section that's open to many people under uh, Citizens School that you also will have this sort of creator academy. Uh, and, and we are talking in essence about the creator economy uh, where uh, aligns with your vision because these creators uh, need to be entrepreneurial or as teams to be able to be commercially viable as well and sustainable. Uh, makes sense. Uh, you know, to play devil's advocate a little bit, uh, you know, there was, there's this entrepreneur in the U S who had WeWork, Adam Newman. And, you know, part of that idea was to have, we live and the we company and talking about education, 
and and that failed in some respects. Uh, now it's more about real estate and providing space for entrepreneurs. But uh, why do you think you know it goes back to failing? But uh, you know why do you think it's so hard to make changes within the education industry? Why why do we see so few? uh new curriculums and new approaches to education even though we see ed tech we see lots of online platforms and lots of shared learning but uh you know if uh if if i have kids in dubai they their school system is very similar to the school system i had in the 1980s in ireland one little difference is that i was in the elevator the other day and i saw two kids going to school and uh, you know, remember when you went to school and you had a, a a school bag with heavy books, and you'd see kids with the bag would be bigger than them, and they'd be dragging them back. And the two kids had wheels on the bag, and I said, "That's such a simple system. Why didn't we have that? Why do we have these heavy bags?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. But apart from that, the chain, the curriculum, and the system is very similar, right? Why has there been so little change? Because it is an engine that has been running for 200 years. Yeah. Okay? And demand is high. They don't need to, they don't feel the pressure to innovate. And many schools here in Dubai have waiting lists. Why do they need to innovate? There's no pressure really. Yeah. So I could have done that. I have a great location with very nice facilities. I could have charged almost double. I had that option. I had that choice. Mm. I, as Adil, had that choice. Mm. Okay. I didn't go for that choice because for a couple of reasons. A, I don't like competition. So I always want to, with whatever company I grow, I like to be a bit different. Zig when others zag. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's something in me. I always want to give more and differently so that I don't fall into trying to compare myself with others. So, so a lot of, a lot of people come to me and it's just like, you know, who was your reference point? Who do you want to be better than? And my answer was research. That was my research, my reference point. It wasn't this school or that school. I didn't want to be, become better than this school or that school. I wanted to resolve a problem that is substantial that we will face whether you like it or not. So research is my reference point. Yeah. So, so that is a, a differentiator and that I believe makes me more relevant to what people need rather than be better than somebody else. Hmm. Okay. But to challenge so, that a little bit, so, sorry, so, go ahead. So, and the second point was, so the f the first point I didn't want didn't like uh, to be seen as uh, as competing with others, and with that I'm trying to be more relevant to to the school. And the second point is I wanted to grow an experience that is relevant to people, and that is that that you feel. Um, that, that, that makes logic to parents. You understand me? I, wa I want, why does a school need to be this dark place where, you know, you would be dragging your kids to mm -hmm. and that you have to suffer for 12 years and that should be, 
the norm. Why is suffering in school the norm? <laughs> I don't understand that. Where did that come from? I yeah. hated school most of my life. Yeah. And people wonder why did I go for a PhD? <laughs> I hated school. Why does that need to be the norm? This is the expected thing. You have to hate school. So that was the second thing. I wanted an experience that's pleasant. That, that you don't want to spend 12 years of your life suffering. Why do you need to do this? So I. So that's the reason why I went for that school. Yeah. Before we, before we finish, just on that point, you know, in other industries, competition. Uh, yes, there's waiting lists, but in, but there's also competition, and you know, it, because it's the private sector. Uh, there's competition. So usually competition in not in a monopoly or duopoly or whatever is a good way to drive innovation and change. Yes. But for some reason, the education system, we haven't had much, but it seems much like the statistics that you kind of shared earlier, there is more tipping points now in education. The, the global company Pearson have uh, real statistics, real uh, business change around providing books uh on subscription service like everything else so and there's co global companies like uh you know edtech platforms that are doing really well and some in the region so that there seems to be a real momentum in, in the region and i guess the question is and uh, you know we often ask on on this podcast is you know uh about the region uh being you know an emerging market actually emerging uh and, and what's your view on that in terms of uh, the industries that you're familiar with, do, do you believe that, uh, you know, this region will, uh, sort of, uh, you know, in, in 60 years, if we're using that as a reference point, uh, you, before there was the BRIC countries, uh, and two of them say, uh, China and India's economies definitely, uh, emerged in the last 20 years and Russia and, uh, Brazil's didn't. Do you think that the Middle East and the wider region in 60 years time will be uh, more prosperous than other parts of the world? I think they have what it takes. Uh, a lot of governments are waking up in the region uh, to try and jump leap their uh, societies and their populations into going back to contributing to humanity. That's a very important objective. When you set a target, as a country to help humanity, then everything falls in place. I think this is what the government of UAE did very well. And I think a lot of other governments in the regions are trying to do the same. Mm. Uh, do I believe they can? Yes, they can. They can because there are technologies that can jump leap them into that. Um, the only I think the only thing needed today is to make it super clear to everybody, and that is through mass education. How can we do that? You understand me? And do it sustainably. It has to have economic returns so that you are not only contributing to humanity, you are also contributing to yourself and your society. Mm. And that is a very important loop to, to have. Uh, so, yes, I do believe we can in this region. See, we have a lot of educated people and their education is not bad, not bad at all. Mm. But then how would they use their education to create knowledge and create economic output to themselves and to humanity in large is where I think the gap is today. And people, the likes of you and me, 
are trying to see ways and help people to, to be able to achieve that the fastest possible way. So yeah, we have to continue doing what we do. I think so. And train the trainers, I would say. Let's build more people that can actually do this, but do it sustainably. Sustainability yeah. is very important. And for your plans for Global Citizens, do you feel that you that that company and initiative and group can be part of that mass education? Do you have plans beyond the current setup that you have at the moment? Yeah, I have many. Plans. <laughs> I have many plans, and not only in the in the education sector, in the financial services sector, in lifestyle, in health and wellness. I have I've seeded few of these companies, I'm building teams, creating knowledge. Uh, whether I'll be successful or not, statistics would say that most of them will not succeed, but some of them will. Mm. So I am, uh, I'm very passionate about them and, and, and yeah, with the help of people like yourself and, and, and our society and like my parents, the parents at the school have been very supportive of me. 70% of them are entrepreneurs. Uh, Shocking. Really? Shocking. Yeah. What, and, and yeah. such support. I thought I'd be busy with the with the students. I'm I'm busier with the parents because they're entrepreneurial in nature yeah. and they want to change the world. You know, entrepreneurs <laughs> they want to change the world. They want to make it a better place. So I have a lot of them pushing me and and helping me. And the more help we have for each other, the better society that we could grow and future for our kids. And why not? It's you know I think it's the best thing to do. Where would you spend your time and energy? best i think that is a nice so so basically as i always say if we can help people and make money out of it that's a good sustainable formula brilliant yeah great note to finish on dr adel thank you for sharing your thoughts this morning we get a real insight into what you're trying to achieve and we'll follow citizens school a lot closer now thank you so much man appreciate it and uh, thanks to your audience for listening in and appreciate it great thanks for your time thank you What a great view Dr. Adel has on the education system and relating it to the bigger problems that our species are facing. I certainly learned a lot from that and I'm definitely going to check out the Citizen School of Dubai uh, more as well. I hope you did too. Uh, and I hope you enjoyed the range of the discussion. Uh, big thank you to Shahir, our producer, and Ali as well. Uh, both our producers who put this show together, uh, it's not an easy task. They have to uh, do all the research in the guests. They have to uh, do the graphics, do the copy, uh, and this is all. This is an article. This is video, uh, and this is on many podcasts as well. So thank you to them. Thank you also to our sponsor, Evest. Uh, they've been with us now for nearly ten episodes, and we really thank them for their support. And do check them out as well. Uh, we'll be back next week as always at eleven a.m. on Fridays. Have a great weekend.